This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving. Now Proverbs chapter 6 is where we were in last week and we'll pick up in it tonight. We might finish it, it's a possibility. And we, we taught a good part of the study last week on go to the ant thou sluggard and on you could call it the virtue of industriousness and not to be afraid of work. And we tied that in with a couple of other scriptures uh, from the Word of God, particularly about how, you know, when you don't have any oxen, sure, the stalls are nice and clean and you don't have to clean up any mess, but from the oxen comes much good because there's labor that's accomplished. And so when, when you have the tools to work with, then much gain and much good can come from that. So... There was a lesson in that. There were a couple of lessons in that paragraph beginning in verse 6 and ending in verse 11 about not being afraid of work. Because if you are afraid of work, guess what happens? Nothing works. And then everything falls apart. And if you say, well, I've rented all my life, so I've never really had to worry about maintaining a home, you know? Because I just call the landlord and they fix it. Okay, well, when you own a house, though, or when you're paying for a house, and you have a mortgage instead of a rent payment, then it's all on you. And if you don't fix that thing, that house will fall down around your ears if you don't maintain it. And if you, uh, if you have a garden and you do not maintain it and you do not work in it, then it will quickly become overrun with weeds and, and the good stuff will die and the bad stuff will abound and, and other things. And if, and if you don't work a job to provide your living, then you quickly find yourself without money and then when the money runs out and you don't get your bills paid, your whole life falls apart really quickly for the sake of slothfulness. I mean, let me, let me be careful with that. Let me be uh, precise with that, okay? When it comes to laziness and slothfulness. And so the lesson remains there just as a quick review. Don't be afraid of work. Work does not do itself. If you work, there is a blessing that comes from it whether it's the work to make a living, whether it's work in the church, whether it's work in your home and in your family, whatever the kind of labor is, there is fruit that comes from labor. And to be afraid of work, and some people are, they really are, they're, they're afraid of that stuff. They want to talk, I mean, maybe that's why, I don't know, maybe that's why there's not so many people here tonight because we talked about this at length last week and they don't want to hear any more about work. I don't know. But he says, go to the ant, consider her ways and be wise. Because he says in verse 7, having no guide, no overseer, no ruler, the ant provides her meat in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. The lesson there is that diligence pays and industriousness pays. And at the risk of sounding like a Republican in the Trump train, okay, that's what made America great. Amen? We were not afraid to work and we were working for ourselves and we were and we were working to make our own country prosperous. And, and well, what about greed and all of that? Yes, greed can come in and it can infect the heart, but greed can come in and infect anyone's heart if they allow it to. 
So let us not be afraid of work. Let us not be afraid of labor. Let's be diligent. And then you can reap the rewards of that, whether it's a good paycheck, whether it's increased business, whether it's a a better garden than you had last year, whether it's a house that's not falling down and sagging. You ever seen a house that's been neglected for years at a time? It's sad. We see that sort of thing fairly frequently, depending on the neighborhood that we go into when we go out inviting people uh, to the house of God. You know, you'll walk up to one house and it looks nice and you can tell this person has self-respect. This person has respect for their home. They're thankful for what they have. You know, they keep their front porch swept. You know, they keep their yard more or less tended to some more, some less. But, you know, it isn't it isn't just wild jungle of overgrowth that you have to dodge the rhinoceri in order to get to the front door. You know, you can tell this has been maintained. And even if it hasn't been well maintained, because maybe they don't have a whole lot of cash to spare on it, they still they keep it clean and neat and nice. Right. You can always tell the difference between someone who respects what they have and respects themselves and the people that don't respect what they have and they don't respect themselves. You usually see that a lot of time in apartment buildings. Not always, but a lot of times you walk up to the front door and it's covered in leaves from the previous fall and cobwebs in the hinges and in the, and in the, the wrought iron bars on the, on the screen door if they have something like that and dead bugs everywhere and the porch light is filled with bugs that died there nine years ago. And they don't even bother to replace the porch light with a, with a new bulb because it doesn't even work because what do they care? Because it's their front door and they never use the front door because they always use the garage door because they're trying to hide from the world. How are we getting all this out of, out of this? Well, it all ties together. Diligence and industrious pays. Whether you're keeping your home, whether you're developing a career, whether you're maintaining a garden or a yard, go to the ant. Consider her ways and be wise. Well, I never have any money. I can't pay my tithes because I never have any money. Okay, well, wow, what's going on, brother? How come you never have any money? Well, you know, I don't know. I get my paycheck and then I go out to eat. I get a steak dinner and then I go here and then I pay for this. And I just got this brand new iPhone 10. Don't you know? Look at this. It's snazzy. Oh, I just bought a new computer and I just bought a new car. But I don't have any money. There's a phrase for that, but it's kind of vulgar and we're not going to use it. Okay. It's a certain kind of rich. All right. It's it's not really profane, but it's just coarse. So I'll, I'll still abstain. But it's described as a certain kind of rich where, yeah, you're driving a Lamborghini, but you don't have 20 bucks to put in the gas tank. Diligence and wisdom put together, you'll prosper. So why are we talking about prosperity? Well, this is Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. She does what she does. She does what she has to, the ant, does what she has to without anybody telling her to. She rates high in initiative. Here we go, talking about personality traits. She rates high in initiative and high in conscientiousness. She gets things done. And so there's a lesson in there. Well, I'm not that personality type. Okay, well, we may not be that personality type, but we can still apply ourselves and accomplish great things by simply looking to the ant and mimicking her diligence. Let's move on. Let's move on. Verse 12. So I was hoping to get to this last week, but we did not quite make it. Verse 12, he says, A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth 
He winketh with his eyes. He speaketh with his feet. He teacheth with his fingers. His frowardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. And I'll stop right there. There's one more sentence in the paragraph and we'll come back to that in a moment. So let's back this up to the very beginning. A naughty person. Now that word naughty, it's not a word you, it's rarely a word that you hear. And when you hear it, it's usually spoken in jest or in teasing or something like that. It's something that a parent calls a child. Oh, you naughty child. And so it's not a word that people take very seriously anymore. But it's actually a very serious, it's, I'm going to call it a slander. It's a very serious character flaw. Let's put it that way. That's a nice way of putting it. Naughty. The root word of naughty is not. And not means nothing. And it speaks of worthlessness. So when someone's plans come to naught, that's kind of an archaic phrase, but you only use the, you only hear that kind of talk with cartoon villains and things like that. I've brought all of my plans to naught, you know, and always with an English accent. But it means that you've brought that person's plans and, and schemes to complete futility. It didn't pan out and all their schemes crumbled to the ground. Well, that's the same root word as this word here, naughty. A person, it speaks of a person who's who pours his efforts and his thoughts and his, his meditations and all of that into things that are of no value and are actually can be destructive. Does that make sense? We kind of spelled that out there so it's not just uh, using a silly word. He's dead serious when he says this. A naughty person. A person who is given to doing things of no value and possibly even of destructive uh, quality. A person like that, and then he clarifies... A wicked man, because it's the same thing, naughty person, wicked man, walks with a froward mouth. Now we talked about that word froward a few weeks ago. We defined that word. Someone who is um, difficult to manage because they are prone to rebellion. They, they don't like to be told what to do, shown what to do, instructed what to do. They don't like to be reproved, corrected, no matter how gentle. That's a froward person. He says that this kind of a person walks with a froward mouth. He winketh with his eyes. He speaketh with his feet. And I think we said last week, that kind of a person, that's a dishonest man. Because you have to look at their feet to see which way they're actually going. Because they talk one way, but they live another. That's a hypocrite, isn't it? It's a pretense. I am going to present a front and keep up appearances while in fact I'm going to live in a way that is contrary to what is right. Right? He speaketh with his feet. It doesn't mean his feet talk. We just clarified that. He teacheth with his fingers. You, know, you, can, you can understand the, this poetic language that he's using here, but you can understand the picture that, that Solomon, the wisest king, is painting for us here. He's describing a person who is naughty. He's committed to things that are of no value. He's wicked. And he has a froward mouth. He's already revealing his character. He's already revealed the type of character that he has. Winks with his eyes. He's duplicitous. He's like, tries to reassure you with body language and facial expressions while his life does not back it up. And he says, frowardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. And that's going to come up here in the next paragraph. That's going to come up again. We'll, we'll deal with that in a moment. Therefore, verse 15, therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. 
Suddenly, he shall he be broken without remedy. So why is Solomon telling us this? Why is this? Well, this is the fate of the wicked and the untrustworthy man. This is the end. This, this is the ultimate end of the wicked and the untrustworthy man. He is dishonest. He is duplicitous. He is froward in his heart. He's froward in his speech. He is he's deceptive. He is charismatic in the way that he interacts with people. Ooh. What's that mean? Well, did we talk about the did we talk about the used car salesman last week? Because this is kind of that guy, right? This is the guy that winks with his eyes and he flashes his gold tooth at you and he's like, yeah, this car is you. This car is you all the way. Yeah, yeah, this is a, this is a great ride. This is a great deal. This is a great deal. It's a 20-year-old GM. That thing's on its last leg. Trust me, you know? But this is the kind of person he's talking about. Well, he reveals to us not only this person's character, he reveals to us what his end is in, this, in verse 15. He says, Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. It speaks of a day of reckoning is coming for the person who's like this. Sooner or later, it's going to come back around. Now, some people call that karma, and that's derived from the Dharmic religions of the Far East, from Hinduism and Buddhism and things like that. It speaks of karma, which is basically what comes around goes around. But the Bible has a different phrase for that, and it's slightly different than karma in terms of concept. It's called sowing and reaping. And he, and he tells us in the New Testament to make no mistake on the matter. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And so the naughty person, it's coming back around to him. The wicked man with the froward mouth, the duplicitous, the deceptive, the charismatic deceiver who gains advantage over others through dishonest means, it's going to come back around to him. The law is going to catch up with him or an angry customer is going to catch up with him. Someone's going to run that dude down. Whether it's the law or whether it's his own community and his calamity will come suddenly. One moment he'll be just fine and the next moment he's done. Because he says here, he shall be broken without remedy. He's going to do more damage than he'll be able to fix to himself. That's what we mean. And so with that, let's move on to the very next paragraph because it ties into this, okay? It's a different teachings, but it's related. He says in verse 16, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto Him. An abomination is a very strong word. In fact, you know what? I want to pull that up on a dictionary just so we all know. It's not just a dramatic word. It is a word with very real meaning. And it carries import. And it's, it's something that we're guilty of in the English language in modern America is something called verbicide. We use words that are much stronger than are actually required for what we're trying to communicate. And so it ends up devaluing the word, like with the word evil and things like that. And so let's look up this word, abomination. Something regarded with disgust or hatred. Something abominable. Extreme disgust and hatred. Loathing as in a crime regarded with abomination, okay? An abomination is something that is profoundly and intrinsically abhorrent and loathsome to God Almighty. That's an abomination. Man with a man, sexually. That's an abomination. 
cross-dressing, men wearing women's clothes, women wearing men's clothes. That's actually regarded in the word as an abomination. Adultery is regarded as an abomination. Idols and idolatry, worshiping of false gods, it's regarded as an abomination. And then in this thing right here, in this paragraph, beginning in verse 16, he says, seven are an abomination unto him. And then he gives us this list, almost like bullet points. A proud look. That's actually an abomination to God. A proud look. Let's read the whole thing and then we'll go back and deal with them one by one. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that are hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. So let's go through them one by one. And remember, these are abominations to God. These aren't just things that displease him a little bit. These aren't the things that are just minor thorns in his side. These are things that are regarded as utterly abhorrent to the Lord our God. A proud look. Why does that come up first? Well, pride was the very first sin, wasn't it? Well, I thought the first sin was when Adam and Eve ate the whatever the ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No, that was the first sin committed by a human being. Pride was the very first sin ever committed and it was committed by Lucifer. And it's why we have the devil. Because Lucifer was not always the devil. Lucifer was once an anointed and covering cherub filled with glory, beautiful beyond imagining, at least beyond human capability of imagination. We've got no precedent to go off of. And, and he had a certain role in eternity that, that it's probably worthy of a study another day as far as that goes. But he became proud he became proud in his heart and proud in his mind. And we talked about this. And what a, what a lethally dangerous trap that is spiritually for the Christian to fall into. Whether it's being proud of our intellect, proud of our skill, proud of our knowledge, proud of our looks, proud of whatever it is. And it's one reason why I think we're, we are in fact subject to death and infirmity and all of that. Because it helps keep us humble. Amen? It really does. You know, I don't try to ins- I don't try to install garage doors anymore like I used to because I think that's how I got my hernia. You know, there's, there's things I can't do anymore, and so it, it it helps keep us humble. But pride was the very first sin, and it destroyed Lucifer. It absolutely destroyed him, and and the, and the the depths of that loss and of that destruction have really yet to be fully realized because he's on his way to an ocean of fire. Okay, and and that's that's future events, and that's the Book of Revelation and all of that. But so maybe another time with that. But he he says that a proud look is an abomination to God. Even a look that is proud, and you can tell people that are like that. You've met people like that in your life that they just have that air about them. That a proud look is an abomination to God. A proud look, man, that's worth meditating on. And then right on the heels of that. He says a lying tongue. Now, there's a lot that's said in this church on the subject of honesty, right? Because honesty is an absolute and it's critical. It is, it is an, it's an absolute imperative in the Christian life. It's one of the very first characters that God develops in us as believers when we come to Him and are born again is He begins developing within us a, a character of honesty. Of honesty. No more deception. No more lies. No more duplicitousness. No more being like this naughty person in the previous paragraph. Now it's time to be straightforward, forthcoming, and honest with people all the time about everything. You still use discretion, but you never, ever use deceit. 
Not for anything at all. Because he says a lying tongue is an abomination to the Lord our God. Let's move on. Hands that shed innocent blood. Now that's pretty self-explanatory also. Doesn't really need a lot of expounding necessarily. Hands that shed innocent blood. Well, what can we even say about that? Don't go shooting people. I don't know what else we can say about that. Hands that shed innocent blood are an abomination to God. A person that's picking a fight. A person that's a barroom brawler. A person that's always looking for violent conflicts. A wife beater. A husband beater. Yeah, there's lots of them out there. You just never hear about them. Because the men have some pride and they don't want to report it to the police because it's a shame. But it really does happen. In fact, the, the numbers are frightening. You'd really be amazed. Hands that shed innocent blood. We don't want to do that. Well, what about hands that shed guilty blood? Well, if you're a prison executioner, if you're a soldier in the military, you're not shedding innocent blood in time of war. You are defending your nation. What about, what if I shot a man in self-defense? You didn't shed innocent blood. You shed blood of a violent and guilty man who was trying to perpetrate a crime on you and or your family. So he says hands that shed innocent blood. Not that we should look to shed blood anyway. That's horrible. But if you find yourself in a situation, you have no choice. Consider this. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. So now he's, he, first he's talking about the way we look, and then he's talking about the way we communicate, and then he's talking about the way we act, and even right here he brings it all the way down to the core of our being, what we imagine in our hearts. Because God even looks at that. So are you trying to tell me that there's a right way to think and that there's a wrong way to think? Yes, of course. And the Bible says as much in more than one place than just this. We're told over in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul to bring every thought into captivity, right? Bring every thought into captivity to the cross of Christ. Uh, to paraphrase what he was saying, to bring it into, into captivity to Jesus Christ and into the Spirit of God. It matters what we think. And it's not that I, the pastor, or we, the church as an institution, are trying to indoctrinate and control the people and judge you for wrong thinking, things like that. What God is attempting to do by His Spirit and through His Word is to teach us as brothers and sisters in Christ to control our own thinking. Amen? Control your own thinking. It's about, it's, and, I, and forgive me for using a cliched word, okay? But it really is about empowerment. To control thyself. Because here's a fact. Here's a truth. If you don't control yourself, somebody else will. Somebody else will. One of the founding fathers, and forgive me, I do not remember which one. We did, in fact, have so many, okay? Made an observation concerning human nature. He said that an intemperate, an intemperate people cannot be free. What's that mean? People without temperance, people without self-control, they cannot be allowed to be free because they have no self-control. One of the things that our country and our entire culture as Americans was founded on, not that we're changing topics, okay? We're talking about things that are an abomination to the Lord. 
Okay, one of which is a heart that devises wicked imaginations. One of the things that we were founded on as a country and as a culture in America was self-governance, self-rule, small and minimal government, government because we loved the idea of being free. But being free to do what? See, that's the thing that comes up in people's minds. Being free to be industrious, to look to the ant and learn and put that example into practice. Or is it to be free to be industrious and wise and good and helpful and beneficial and loving and supportive and, and every other virtue that's outlined in the Word of God? Or was it freedom to be completely and pathologically wicked? So that's what the wicked man wants. The wicked man wants freedom that he may victimize, tyrannize, and take unfair and ungodly advantage over other people. The good man, the good woman, wants freedom so that they may be free to live according to the dictates of their... Excuse me, let me rephrase that. According to the dictates of the Word of God as the Holy Spirit hath moved upon their conscience. Amen? Does that make sense? We want to be free to do well and to prosper from doing well. The wicked man wants to be free that he may do well for himself at the expense of everybody else. Meditate on that. Freedom. With freedom comes responsibility. And that's also very cliched, but it is so true. Your freedom, you have a responsibility with it. Your freedom from sin, because that's what we were just preaching about on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the victories that Jesus has won for us, freedom from sin, victory over sin. Your freedom from sin places a different burden of responsibility upon you. It places the burden of responsibility of a righteous life. That's how we're the light of the world. That's how we're the salt of the earth. That's how we bring glory to God. It's like, well, uh, I'm, I'm all about my rights. I want my rights. I got rights. It's like, okay, well, you've got rights, but you've got responsibilities with them. You've got responsibilities with them. And as one person described it, your rights are my responsibility and my rights are your responsibility and with all of our rights. We have to ex exercise responsibility because when you have people that are loaded with rights and they take on no responsibility, they're good for nothing. Because they don't do anything. They consume and they never produce. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Let's get back to what we were talking about here. Even the things that we think about, even the things that we meditate on, are we the type of person who thinks in our hearts how can I bless so-and-so? Or they're going through something. How can I maybe be a help to them in some way? They're, they're going through some kind of a hard time. Do we have the kind of mind that thinks, how can I be a help and a blessing to a brother or to a sister or to my church or to my, or to whatever, to someone who's in need? Or do we have the kind of mind that's thinking, I can't believe that person cut me off in traffic again. I've seen that car three times this week. Each time they drive like a jerk. You know what? I'm a follow them. Um, I'm going to follow them to where they go. I'm going to follow them to where they live. And then when they go inside, so because I don't want to confront them because passive aggressives despise confrontation, they're the ones that knife you in the back, right? And so then wait till they go inside and then I'm going to knife all their tires. I'm going to let all the air out. That's a heart that's devising wicked imaginations, isn't it? It's right there. 
That's a heart that's devising wicked imaginations. Do we have the heart that says, I'm going to wait until my spouse is asleep and then I'm going to sneak out of bed and I'm going to go to where the computer is over in whatever room of the house it is and I'm going to get logged on, plug in my earphones so it doesn't make any noise and I'm going to look at a bunch of stuff that I'm not supposed to look at and you know what I'm talking about. That's a heart that devises wicked imaginations. Or that, or that person that puts together the perfect crime. My boss doesn't pay me enough money. And I think I deserve more. And so I know the combination to the safe. And I'll wait till the right time. And I'll just, I won't take everything, but I'll just take a few bucks. Nobody will miss it. Heart devises wicked imaginations. Whether how big or whether how small. They don't have to be the mastermind criminal who's plotting to poison a city's water supply. They just arrested a woman in the U.S., a Muslim, by the way, for that very thing, plotting it. Okay? It was in the news. It doesn't have to be something that big, something that bad. It could be something quite boring and mundane. I need some paper clips. I'll wait till nobody's looking and I'll snatch one from the supply room. It's an abomination. It's an abomination before God. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. Well, he already said a lying tongue is an abomination. Is he repeating himself here? No. A false witness is a little bit different. It's still, it's still lying, but it's someone actually being a false witness as in the case of an accusation against someone else. Let's look at the whole Me Too movement that's uh, been running roughshod over men in our country for the last year or so. A lot of that stuff has been lies. Not all of it, but a lot of it has been. False witness. False rape, false rape accusations. Very, very common. And I'm not saying that they're all false. I'm just saying that there are some that are. A false witness that speaketh lies. And lastly, we'll probably conclude with this. He that soweth discord among brethren. This is a very serious one here. And this is what the wicked man in the previous paragraph does. It says he soweth discord there at the end of verse 14. In verse 19, it expresses that this type of thing is an abomination to the Lord. Someone who sows discord between brethren, a brother or sister in the church, you could say, or between, you could say natural family, or between good friends, or between people that are in the same church. Someone that comes in driving wedges between them, spreading gossip, malicious lies, or even spreading truths that are destructive. Because whose job is that to do? I don't know if it's anybody's job. Usually it's the devil that does it. Who wants to do his work? Not me. Someone that sows discord between people that are close together. That's an abomination. It's an abomination to God. We cannot be, not that I think that anyone here is necessarily any of these things, but it's, it's here in the Word, and that's one of the advantages of teaching the Bible book by book, is that you come across the text as it's there, and so no one thinks that you're loading your gun on purpose and, 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 and shooting people with it as far as the subject matter. These are things that we want to be diligent to never let ourselves start to slip into the mindset of these things becoming, uh, bearing a proud look and having a deceptive and a lying tongue, violent hands, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift in running to mischief or to do evil or something like that. 
being a false witness against someone else. You say, well, that never happens in a church, is it? It happens all the time in churches. People being a false witness against another person, especially when politics enter the church and you have people jockeying for a position of power and influence. And it's a really disgusting thing. To behold, it really is. That's why God set up a system of church government that is called an episcopate. Okay? And it works very well and it keeps a lot of that stuff out of the mix and it just lets us be Christians and not have to get involved in the drama of personal politics where the hierarchy of a church is concerned. The church has one Lord, amen? And that's Him. And that's good enough for me. But a false witness that speaks lies and certainly... We don't ever want to be this last one. We don't ever want to be that one that sows discord between two other people in the church. We don't want to be that one that breaks up friendships. We don't want to be that one that, that tarnishes trust. We don't, be, we don't want to be that tailbearer that causes damage. We don't want to be that one that destroys someone else's marriage. So what's your position on marriage? Keep it together. That's our position on marriage. Amen? Keep it together if at all possible. So, well, what if it's a second or a third marriage? You know, when I got married, you know, all these marriages and divorces in my past before I ever came to Christ. It's all under the blood. It's all under the blood. You keep your marriage together. You keep your family together. Don't be a sower of discord and of division. And, and we'll go ahead and bring it to a conclusion there. And so we'll pick it up. Be at the will of the Lord. We'll pick it up in verse 20 where Solomon says, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. And so we'll, we'll deal a little bit more with that because uh, that's not just general ad admonition. That It actually goes to a very specific place with that. And so we'll teach on that. Again, be at the will of the Lord in the next Bible study. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.